0: Welcome to another episode of the Executive Security Podcast. Today, we're joined by Ed Amorosa, former CISO at AT and T, and co-founder of Tag Cyber, which our listeners will learn more about in a little bit. We are excited to have you on the show, Ed, because you're not only you not only have many years of cybersecurity experience, but you're also a university professor interacting with many young people interested in entering the field. So, welcome to the show.
1: Nice to see you, Gene. Looking forward to the discussion.
0: Absolutely. So I, I appreciate it. It's a great morning for both of us, uh, sunny New Jersey, New York, sunny Massachusetts, New Hampshire. So a uh, great morning. And uh, for us on our side, we uh, just closed our $30 million round of funding. So uh, me as the CEO of ThreadX, really excited to get that behind us. So uh, hey, before we jump into this, I got to share a little fact with the audience. Ed was actually one of my first cold calls when I was at Network Intelligence uh, selling SIM technology. Lots of salespeople called, and you back at AT&T, so i sure you don't remember it, but uh, it was really insightful for me because it was the first time working for, a—I think we were probably a $30 million company, and I had come from EMC, so a big corporation, and it was the first time I realized that cyber was such a unique entity that, companies the size of AT&T were willing to listen to small companies like network intelligence because of the need for solutions. So anyway, you you had a big impact and I, I now have been doing it 16, 17 years. So thanks for that great experience.
1: You bet, you and I've been at this for a
0: while. <laughs> we well, have yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's jump into it and talk a little bit about your university experience. Uh, so you're teaching uh, cyber at N- NYU and you're pairing students to enter the field. Are there any uh, particular skills or knowledge uh, that you feel students uh, and our listeners need to get into cyber?
1: Well, first of all, thank you for including me in your discussion here. I've been looking forward to this. You, You do such a nice job. And I'm, again, looking forward to covering a range of topics. University education is different than training, like in a company. And that's one of the first things that whenever we're talking to an enterprise audience or talking to groups of people who, who you know work for a living as opposed to you know 18 year old going off to college that's an important distinction because training like if you go to a, take some sans courses or something they're really awesome or uh, you know, go to cybrary or even coursera those are things that have somewhat shorter half lives right you're learning to do some cisco thing or you're learning to do some microsoft thing and you get a certification you learn a thing that's useful at work But you and I both know probably a year from now, that's all changed. So training is. at the university level, what we try to do is focus on foundational things that if you and I were sitting there 10 years ago, taking notes, and we fast forward to today, we go back and look at our notes and go, hey, you know what, you know, simplifying code and getting rid of vulnerabilities and making your network something that you have visibility into. Those still stand, like teaching the technology, the foundations of that now, admittedly, in cybersecurity, it's probably more about cryptography and key management and a little more computer science-y type things. But at the university level, you should think more foundationally and long term. And at sort of the enterprise training level, it's a little bit more practical. You can apply it more immediately. But the half-life on the information, is it's much shorter. So that's where at university, we try to play that role because you usually don't get that at work, right? Companies want to train you on something you can put to work uh, immediately. And that's that's a difference at the university level.
0: When somebody comes to you, Ed, whether uh, changing career path or wanting to get into cyber, what's your recommendation from a, a degree versus training to kind of enter the field?
1: a lot of times you you want to try and understand why somebody's focused on a degree. I'll be honest, if you're, you know, an 18-year-old and and you want to get into some sort of technical field, I do think it's a wise choice to get a four-year degree. I know all the the folklore about Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. And <laughs> I guess if you like some massive genius, maybe you can do one year and then quit. But there's just the the practical side of learning engineering, computer science. Man, You do need four years of training. It's not a waste of time at the university level for undergraduates. For people who are mid-career, though, or people want to change to a different thing, maybe get a master's degree, I always ask them, well, you know, what's the point? Now, maybe this sounds a little funny, but I'd say more than half of them have some work-related, financial-related, promotion-related goal in getting, say, a master's degree or an MBA or something. Well, I work at the bank, and an MBA is going to help, or a master's in computer science is going to help. So we do it, and you know, I, I think it's perfectly reasonable. If it's going to help you work, then go do it. You know, and and you probably get somebody like me in the classroom, and you might like the course, you might not, but yeah. there's a lot of people who do that university training just because there's a a career component. But for everyone else, you really want to try to judge whether this is their bliss or their passion is a lot of work. So I would say, if you were a billionaire, you have all the money in the world, and you could do whatever you want. You could go, you know, fly around the world. You can go, you know, visit every baseball stadium in the country, or you can study computer science. What would you pick? Weirdly for me, I might say study computer science. That's my bliss. That's what I love. So when you see that, you say, absolutely, go get the degree, go to university, get your thing. But if it's, well, you know, I don't really like school that much, then you say, well, then why are you even talking about it? So
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I'm glad you bring this up because I'm sure a lot of people watching our discussion here have on their punch list of things, consider going off and getting a master's in something, you know, I bet it's yeah. been more than half. It would be eight, eight yeah. to 10 people. And I would just say apply that introspective test. If I could do anything, would going off and studying and taking some exams and reading stuff and learning, is that something that I would do? Is that my bliss? Is that where I find yeah. my an hour seems like five minutes? If it's like that for you, then do it. But if five minutes seems like an hour, then you probably shouldn't because it's you it'll be like torture
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely so let's get a little controversial here so you've got some great international students and during our prep we kind of talked about the we got a skills gap of hundreds of thousands of people in the u.s but yet we have this visa system that's very difficult and just you know wonder if you could share your thoughts on that one with the audience
1: Well, I'll give you my personal experience. So I've quite a few uh, students over at NYU, and and also been spent thirty something years at Stevens and taught at Monmouth University. I've been around a little bit, so I know a lot of um, international students who come over and want to work toward saying having an H one B arrangement where they can stay. So at my own company, Tag Cyber. It's not unusual for us to hire these young people right out of masters, a master's program, like one of our developers, master's degree at NYU, good developer. He comes on. He helps us build our platform. The way it works with him and with so many others, is a young man whose family was in India. They moved here and he studies at uh, NYU, is that the way it works is you get three shots in a lottery at being able to stay and get that visa. And it is a... Sp- just flat out random lottery. So, I have my attorneys help these young people prepare their application to make sure that they are, you know, are in the right sort of category, meaning they have a degree, they're working in an area, they want to stay here and become and um, work here in the US. They want to work in computer science, right? He wants to live here in New York and stay here and have a family. And we talk about skills gap all the time. So, first shot at it, sorry you didn't get picked. Okay, well, let's hope next year it works. Second year, you try again. Okay, let's see, you get picked. Sorry, you didn't get picked. You get a third shot at it. After Mm -hmm. the third shot, you have to leave. So that is the law. That's the way it works. That's the practical reality. So for people watching who say, well, I agree with that. Well, then fair enough. Then that you agree with it. That's there. I don't agree with it because I don't have 30 people behind these developers who want the job. When he leaves, it's a big hole. I can't find developers. And that's the skills gap we refer to. So, for me personally, I grew up in New Jersey. I'm an American. I want to do what's right for our country. It seems just patently nuts that we would take these young people who, in my case, live in the New York area. They want to work in a company, they want to stay here, raise kids, have them play soccer, pay pay taxes. And we're going to, after three swings at the bat, if just the Coin flip goes against their way three times. We send them out when they're doing software development for a cybersecurity company in New York. Uh, that makes no sense to me. Yeah, yeah. So that's the reality. That's the situation I see every day. Yeah. And it's not just my little company, you know, multiply that by Google and Oracle. Yeah. you know what they do? They end up opening research labs in places like Canada. Right. So they work three years. It doesn't work out for you. You get three swipes. At it. OK, fine. We'll move you out of our freaking country to a place. We'd rather do it here, but we're going to move it to Canada. Go work there. Right. Are you kidding yeah. me? That's yeah. our policy. So whenever yeah. I hear skills gap, I cringe a little bit because it is true. There is one. But we're certainly leading with our chin on this.
0: Thing. Right. we <laughs> somewhat creating it. Yeah.
1: A little it's bit it. of creating. yeah. I mean, I get it. I Look, I, I want jobs for young people in the US. I want, you know, you grow up here, you get a job here. But it's not yeah. like, it's, um, you know, they're 10 deep, you know, lined up for these jobs. They're not. Yeah. And a typical um, classroom, say at uh, New York University in computer science is going to have 70, 80% You know, in that category could be as high as 90%. Over at Stevens, sometimes it could be 100%.
0: We get 100
1: people in a room, and 100% of them were not born here in the US. So, so that also begs the question what are we doing at the high school level? And my opinion is that there's a lot of really bad math and science education Mm. going on in high schools. Kids are not being inspired by right. their features typically. And they decide, well, I'm gonna go into investment banking because this computer science thing is just programming, doesn't look that interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I agree with you on a lot of those. It's it's an interesting dynamic of, uh, as both US citizens born here, you see some of why we do what we do, but it's so binary. And in a bureaucracy, sometimes it has to be binary, but when you have this hundreds of thousands, and we're talking about cyber right. uh, skills gap, Skills gap is even bigger when you look at developers in general. So it's right. it's an interesting one. So That's exactly but, right. So let's get back to a little bit of earlier in your career. You were CISO for a you know a major major corporation, ATT. Right. What did it take to become a C level executive? And you know, how did you end up staying at the t for so long?
1: Well, it was different then than it is now. I'll give you a little sense of it then. Then we were creating, like I could call from the CEO saying, I'd been doing work with government. I was a computer security nerd, like I wrote a book and was part of a team doing Unix security. So believe it or not, the first 10 years of my career at Bell Labs, I didn't even know who the CEO of AT&T was, nor nor did I care. And if you said the word manager, that was pejorative to me. (laughs) It was like, what, I was a manager. We always had this joke around like a bell curve that you're like, and Bell was a Bell system. We'd say, you start out here and then your career grows. And as you become an individual contributor, a researcher, developer, somebody doing something good, that's the peak of your career. But then as you start getting promotions, you come down the other side of the bell curve. <laughs> like we would joke about that, like your pinnacle was when you're doing good, solid technical work. Yeah. So I believe that. So when I got the call saying, would you do this? I didn't even know what the hell it was. I'm like, what? It's like an being idea? created. Yeah. 30 team? What would that be? And I went and I found uh, Steve Katz. He's a guy that um, was the first CISO ever. And I met him shortly thereafter. He gave me his business card and said, This is, um, I'm CISO. And I went, What is that? I looked at the business card. I went back (laughs) and I asked my boss, I forget who it was, and he said, Put whatever you want on your business card. So I have business cards ordered up that said, Chief Information Security Officer, I still (laughs) have. (laughs) <laughs> I, I just dubbed myself that, you know, and then I, I started to build out a grid and it was weird because there are all little pockets of people around the company doing this, that I was coming from the group that was doing similar work from the federal government. So we were trying to take the techniques we were watching in government, apply them over, but there were others. And over time, I had to bring them all together and make up how to do it. So for me, my journey was I was a techie. I didn't know anything about management. So eighteen t sent me off to Columbia Business School to learn to be a manager. And it was like putting a square thing in a round hole. I was not, but I learned and I observed. So my experience is separate. What we tell people now is that the CISO position is an executive position. It's not a technical position, but it requires technical skills. It's not a compliance position. It requires compliance skills. It is a management position and definitely requires management, coordination, leadership, communication skills. These are things that most of us who grew up in tech and around cybersecurity, none of us are any darn good at that, right? Like the best communicators are your cybersecurity team. Are you kidding me? Maybe like, who's the most likely to get in an argument with you? Yeah, that's, that's definitely us. So the rub has been, and what I've devote a big chunk of our time at Tag Cyber to doing is helping to m- promote the idea that technical folks who know a lot about crypto and firewalls and access control and identity and, and behavioral analytics and, and now AI and machine learning and so on, and the things you guys do. You're good at that, that's great. You can check that box, but now there's five other boxes to check. How about you know, leading a team, providing a vision for a team? How about being able to communicate clearly and effectively a few simple goals that you want everybody working to? How about understanding how to how to nurture a culture? Like, should it be a culture of being supportive and helpful? That's what I always like, but maybe not. Maybe the culture should be a little bit more edgy. All of these are things that we don't learn when we're studying mathematics and computer science or engineering or whatever you studied or whatever whatever your, your journey was. For most of us, it was a journey that started with something very technical. So to be a CISO today is not unlike saying, I'd like to just be a C-level executive. It means you have to have a holistic understanding of the business. It means you have to understand the basics of finance you have to know something about human resources and people management. There are all these, this whole collage of things that you need. And I think over the next 10 years, what's likely to happen is every company, just like right now they have an HR executive reporting to the CEO. I think you're going to have a risk executive reporting to the CEO. They'll have information risks, so maybe pandemic risk will be part mm. of it. There could even be existential risks that we worry. Climate science is now such an important part of. The factoring into the equation, Chief Sustainability Officer probably will report up to that. But you'll have this risk position. And I think that's what most young people starting their career now, when they say, I want to aspire to making a lot of money being a C-level executive, that risk position will be a good one. And the way to get there, be good at cyber, but also to travel around the Mm. company a little bit. And I'm going to say something that's a little controversial now. Perhaps even being willing to stay with a company more than just a couple of years. Yeah, like this idea that's that not I, in
0: vogue. That's not right. In vogue. <laughs> not in vogue.
1: And and I'm not saying you're doing it out of loyalty to some company that's going to you know see you through to your old age. That was the old at t IBM lifetime thing. Not for that, yeah. but rather the way to establish depth somewhere is to stick around to learn. Mm-hmm. What's under all the different rocks. The
0: business. Learn the business, yeah.
1: There's, it's like staying in a marriage. Like There's a a depth of understanding and respect that comes from that, that you don't get by hopping around a bunch. I, I get that you know if you decide you're going to change jobs, you might make more at the different jobs. And then on your resume, you say, oh, banking? Sure, I spent three years there. Manufacturing? Sure, I spent three years there. Government? Yeah, did my stint. So, okay, you have a six-inch deep understanding, a breadth understanding of all these different industries, but did you ever stay someplace long enough to work through a terrible series of problems, work your way out of it, and then be part of the team that looks back and understands how we fix that and you can make things better? You need 10 years to do that. And how many CISOs stick around for 10 years? So I think that that's something... The hopping around a lot is something I typically don't always approve of. Sometimes I do. I probably stayed too long. As I was at AT&T for 31 years, but I loved every minute of it. And again, right. the first half was in the lab. So that yeah. almost count. So I spent more, maybe 16, 17 years in the executive position. So that's not as long as 31. But nevertheless, it's probably it. than most. So yeah. I hope that's helpful. It's an yeah, exact- I
0: think it's super helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So so after leaving AT&T after yeah. 31 years, you started tag cyber. So could you tell our listeners a little bit about your company and, and yeah. how you guys could be a resource for people that are new yeah, in their careers?
1: Well, you know, we're kind of decided that we'd start this to poke at the analyst community in cyber. I mean, I've been very unabashed in saying that companies like Gartner and Forrester and others, IDC. These are big monster companies. Gartner's like a $5, 6000000000 billion company. So their primary motivation is revenue. I mean, I work for a Fortune 7 company. I get revenue growth and returns to the street. I know how that works. I went to business school. I know that. But that's not always the best experience for people who are looking for guidance from an expert. So I thought, you know what? I felt like Magic Quadrants, all this stuff. One of the weaker parts of our industry it struck me in some senses being kind of fake, like these quadrants. What you do you tell me that a Ferrari is better than a Hyundai. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> Ferrari has all this cool stuff. They're in the top quad and then the Hyundai <laughs> <laughs> the crappy car. But you know something when I'm buying something for my nephew or my kids or something, maybe that darn Hyundai is a pretty good car, you know, for what I need. Like so we always felt like those companies do a disservice by using these structures that rank and rate and do things. And I believe there's a pay for play component to it. So I thought, let's devote our lives here. It's a group of us, former CISOs, we're almost 50 people now. Our goal is to be that analyst team that's unbiased, that's not there for money. So all of us, like entry to our group to be part of our analyst team has to be you kind of made your money, like you're turning down the big job to go to the bank. So you're turning down 2 million to make 150 grand. Like if that's the deal, <laughs> if you can do that. And if you're happy with that, then you'll be in bliss because what we do is working for purpose. We're helping CISO teams all day long. They're asking us questions. We're writing reports. We're mixing it up and doing it in a way that feels so good because you're taking your experience base and trying to help uh, the existing practitioners with what they do. So that that was the idea. And you know, it's taken me a few years, but we are growing. We are double the company every year now. That's and we've fantastic. actually expanded our reach from cybersecurity now into climate science. We have a team mm. doing that. And it's an awesome group of analysts. Same thing like uh, Dork Sahagian from Lehigh, the Nobel Peace Prize winner in 2008 with Al Gore. We have analysts like him who also are like my age? We the age all starts with a six, you know. <laughs> but it's like, how would you like to be helping startups who are trying to build a more sustainable future? It's like, how about died and went went to heaven? Where do I sign up? Yeah, so that is. We, we've actually renamed the umbrella company tag infosphere. That's the experience of having. Experts who have years of understanding unbiased are there to help you work for purpose in areas that matter to society. So we start with cyber, the climate, and the next two will be artificial intelligence and decentralized finance, Web3, cryptocurrency. Those are all areas that will have analyst teams of people who have experience and are there literally, literally to help. Like that's the idea. Let's drive these initiatives that are good for the world. It's good for the world to have cybersecurity that stops the possibility that a nation state could hit a nuclear power plant. It's good for us. It's good for the world to have an environment where people, climate science startups can make money and can do things like zero carbon cement and sustainable energy and EV charging infrastructure, like starting a business to do that. It's exciting. Like Gene, you and I, if we quit our jobs and said, "Let's go build interoperable charging stations all around the country for the next generation EV vehicles," that's a fun business. Right, I mean, right, yeah. You can see where the next generation entrepreneurs are going to come. Good for our country. Good for the world. Good for the globe. Yeah. You know, so that's the tag infosphere. We try to celebrate things that matter with people who have have experience in a very unbiased and helpful manner. That is not. But Gartner, Forster, IDC, those companies, yeah.
0: that's their business. So we're creating
1: something, I think, very, very different, very new.
0: Well, well, you've been a great partner for us. Uh, I Also, my last company, Human, you're a great partner there. So we, we appreciate everything you guys do in the industry. And for us as individual entrepreneurs, it is a valuable, valuable service. So for those listeners that aren't subscribing and being a part of the tech, tech <laughs> infosys and tech cyber family, please reach out to Ed. You'll be happy and glad you did. He's a good friend to everybody in the industry. So we'll wrap it up with one final question. I saw you recently wrote an article about serving others is what successful business is all about. What did you mean by that?
1: Well, you know, originally was asked by Fast Company and Entrepreneur to do an interview for the magazine. And I was so excited because I, you know, you make a bucket list or punch list of stuff. I always read Fast Company, and I said, you know what, when I start my company, I want to be in their magazine. So when they called, they said, oh my God, they want to talk about cybersecurity. You know what they wanted to talk about? The fact that I'm an old dude, I'm 60, doing stuff <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about. So I was like, all right, I guess you know I could at least check the bucket list off that we're in Fast Company, kind of whatever, it's a good news. <laughs> my family thinks it's hilarious, you know, whatever. But when we talked about it, they said, well, what's the difference between a 20-year-old and a 60-year-old doing a startup? And I said, there's one difference, and it's called service. Like when you're 20, you're doing a startup for one reason, and that's to get freaking rich, right? (laughs) That's the reason you do it. You're not doing it to help others. Give me
0: a break. No, it might happen along that, the way, but it's not the yeah, purpose. <laughs>
1: you not Harvard because you want to become a billionaire. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly fine. I, I coach a lot of them at NYU. I wish more would do it. And on the East Coast, the kids tend to want to go work for a bank instead of doing yeah. stuff. So over at Stanford, they get the startups. At NYU, we get the kids who are going to be the next generation Jamie Dimon, but whatever. Sure. Yeah. So. So services, the difference, schools when you get to the point where you are in my career, it's really not about money. That's dumb. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sick, I'll be dead in 25 years. So what's <laughs> not the point? The point is, how can I help? And we noticed that the most successful businesses really are ones that that realize that people buy from companies because they want they want you to be serving them. They want you to understand what they're about and be part of helping them achieve their mission and be successful. That So we thought, you know something? Really, the 20-year-olds probably should be more focused on a life of service. They're not. But somebody further along is maybe pretty well set up to do a startup because we are focused on service. I know you guys think about that in your company. Yes. But once you start thinking about serving others, you probably have it right. And your, your company is going to be very successful because there's no such thing as a company failing because they were too focused on serving others. Yeah. <laughs> that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There are a lot of companies that fail because the company was too obsessed with their financials, right? you yeah. and I yeah. a dozen companies right off the top of our head. Yeah. they too obsessed with the revenue and the growth and their get rich and the options and this and yeah. all that stuff. That stuff will get you. That'll go you lose your company if you focus on that too much. But you never lose your company if you wake up every day and you say, I have customers and I'm gonna by the time I go to bed tonight, I wanna think of at least five things I did that helped my customers in an unbelievable and awesome way. When that's your mm. mindset, holy crap, how can you not be successful? Right, so right. That's what and we help. told fast company. They put a little bit of that in, but the heading is still, hey, entrepreneur 60 and 60-year-old dude, <laughs> maybe you can do it. But, uh,
0: You're never too old. To
1: whatever. I'll, I'll take the. It's good PR, but it's just, I wish the title was more, <laughs> 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 hey,
0: whatever. Oh, fantastic, Ed. Well, I knew this was going to be a great interview, and it definitely was. You just had some great insights into what's going on in our industry, where the industry going. Uh, and I'm so glad that our listeners got to learn more about Tag Cyber. I'm a massive fan of, of you personally and your organization, and and uh, you are definitely thinking about our business. So I appreciate that. So, with that, uh, it's Friday. So, please have a great rest of the day. Enjoy the sun and have an awesome weekend. And thank you very much for your time. Ditto, thanks for including me.